I was the oldest out of six. I never felt a part of my own family. I, I had my ear bitten off when I was 16 years old. I was on that never-ending cycle of going to prison. Institutions, near-death experiences. And then I got invited on a three-month backpacking holiday to Thailand. I boxed for England when I was a kid and I wanted a box in Thailand. He said, don't get in the ring with these times, they'll break your ribs. Well, I had five fights. Literally every night, I was laying a dirty fucking sport. You know, I've got loads of pain emotionally going on. Physically, I can take punches all day long and, it, you know, it doesn't bother me, but I don't break out in lumpers and bumps, I break out in handcuffs, prison sentences, pain, misery and loss. And that's what happened, I just jumped on a bike. with another friend, fucked off to Burma and bought China White, pure heroin, and fuckers. And I got arrested for handling and a stolen mobile phone. And this is what I was using, like, the phone for, for drug deals. Witnessed a murder within a week of being in a prison in Bangkok, and it was the most frightening experience. And and the screams, every scream was fucking deep. You hear about this stuff, but you never actually, you know, it's traumatic when you see it. Then they pin you down, and then they pin another guy to the wall, and they rape him and make you watch it. Yeah. I mean, how how do you get over something like that? I just buried my head with drugs to, to suppress any feeling, any thoughts. You know, you couldn't invent or conjure it up in your worst nightmares. What you kind of witnessed and being subjected to. This week on the True Geordie podcast. Good, it looks good. Are you taking a photo? Yeah, just because I like it, to. It lasts oh, longer. Yeah. <laughs> We've got Billy Moore on the show. Welcome, Billy, mate. Thanks nice. for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, absolutely loved the movie about your life, and I was just like, we have to get this guy on. This is, I mean, I've never seen anything like what I was watching mm. uh, on A Prayer Before Dawn. Uh, it's available on every. It's available on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Uh, I watched it on Amazon. You watched it on Sky. So it's, it's readily available. Well, it just hits you so quick and so hard. And, the, and like Lawrence is an expert in this sort of stuff, but it's it shot so well. It looks amazing. It's probably one of the most um, since like a Fight Club or something like that. Mm. It's one of the most intense fight movies yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah. Because a lot of films sort of like to. Obviously, we get you on review a film you're not in, but it's based on you. Uh, mm. But a lot of films, you don't feel like you're in it you feel like you're watching a fight mm. in this film you could feel every punch everything yeah. wasn't yeah. it was amazing yeah the director's quite clever in that area yeah. yeah what was it like for you to um to watch it back or to be part of the process because it must have been a bit unusual to watch someone telling your story yeah well the first time i watched it was in Cannes film festival in 2017 really? and that was um you know i felt really out of place in a tuxedo on a red carpet <laughs> You know, uh, definitely. Uh, but when uh, we went into the cinema, it was massive. It was like the biggest cinema in Europe with two and a half thousand people in there, all dressed, you know, in tuxedos and suits and really smart. And, you know, next thing, this this movie comes on the screen with, with the young actor playing, you know, Joe Cole playing myself. And, you know, for two hours, I thought personally, because I'd experienced it and I knew what was coming, I started like thinking that the audience were going to get really fed up, you know what I mean? Because I'd, I'd kind of been around that road. But at the end of it, you know, they all stood up and it was like an eight and a half minute, like... Standing ovation. Yeah, it was, it was a standing mm-hmm. ovation for eight and a half minutes. And I said to James Seamus from um, Meriden, he was the guy who financed the movie. I said, is this normal? He went, look, we're in France. These are the harshest critics you'll ever come across. If they didn't like it, they'd boo you whether they were here or not. Mm-hmm. You know, do you love it? Um, and, the, and then the reviews the next day, because that's what you get, don't you? You get reviews straight away from all the national newspapers, and they were, and they were all five stars, and it was like, wow. <laughs> it was quite powerful. But to watch it, it like, freaked me out. 
It really did because it like brought everything to the surface. Oh yeah. You know, the reality of it. Because mm-hmm. you had a big part to play in the script and I wanted it to be as authentic and as transparent, you know, as possible. I didn't want it to be like made up or dramatised. Um, and we worked alongside uh, Jonathan Ashbeen, who wrote the script. And kind of when it came to Frisician, it was like, it was just, it was just perfect. In a way. I was wondering, as I, obviously, I, I knowing I was going to meet you in person, uh, how close it was to the reality and the fact that you're saying it brought back so many memories. Obviously, yeah. it was for me. What I loved about the movie is it, it didn't oversell things. Like, I've yeah. been through some traumatic things, and you think of how you're going to how you would recreate those things. And naturally, people do like like Wolf of Wall Street. No doubt, is hugely egged up. But, it's embellished, yeah. But yeah, but with this guy, this character uh, played by Joe Cole. He doesn't overdo it. He's not explaining what he's thinking the whole time. No. It, it, it gives the audience credit. You're intelligent enough to get what's going on here. Yeah. You, you don't need all the backstory. You don't need, you can weigh it up as it's going on. And that's very unusual, I think, because, uh, you know, people just, I mean, The Rock's the biggest movie star. Everything's dumbed down, isn't yeah. it? You don't really basically challenge the audience to get it without needing everything laid out mm. for them. Also, a lot of the telling comes through how visceral it is, like how mm. intense the whole yeah. thing is, how it's shot. You actually feel like you're part of it. Which yeah. I, you know, normally you're watching something. With this, it felt like you're actually experiencing it. Mm. It must have been really weird for you having gone through it and like not having like a PTSR or a PTSD sort of thing, but bringing those memories back must have been I'm from intense. Liverpool. We don't get PTSD. Right, yeah. <laughs> No, we certainly do. Um, <laughs> especially I wouldn't care. I've had, yeah. I've had a Liverpool soldier yeah. on, uh, on the show before. He was hard as nails as well. Yeah. It's just, it's just like it, it, it's kind of like the environment you brought up in, and I, I think I was quite lucky, in a sense, you know, and unlucky in a way, um, to be brought up, you know, in Liverpool. And which and part of Liverpool did you grow up in? In the South End, but Waverley. So Soxteth, Waverley on the border. It was quite. Um, Quite difficult because I was, I was I always felt separate, different in a long growing up. I was the oldest out of six, you know, and it was like a, I never felt a part of my own family, mm-hmm. which was strange. I always felt like I was an observer, mm-hmm. you know, and people would be knocking at the door for me, brothers and my sisters, and, and I, I couldn't understand that I couldn't put a finger on it growing up, feeling really isolated. And I think that I took that into into every relationship I ever kind of I just drifted in and out of toxic relationships throughout my life. <laughs> it was like. You know, this is why I found myself in these these unshavedy places. No were you more. were you much of a ladies' man growing up, or were you a bit more? No, definitely not. No, I, I had my ear bitten off when I was sixteen years old, um, over a box of Easter eggs. Wow! This is it. This is the, the what kind of Easter eggs? They were like cabbages. They must have been good. <laughs> Sammy worth it. I was just trying to work out with who was worth it or not. <laughs> Do you know what? I don't even. It wasn't even about the Easter eggs. It was just the the, the principle. But it was like by who? By a, a guy who's passed away. You know, um, it was a young kid. It, he was, he was uh, just kind of demanded the stuff that we'd stolen out of his car years ago. And, um, and we said, no, let's share it fairly. Yeah. You know, and he didn't want to do it that way. And it just ended up me standing up for myself and, you know, everyone backing down. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, we got me in a corner and me ear got bit off. So I wasn't a ladies man by any stretch of the year. Question about the ear getting bitten off, naturally. Um, obviously, it's painful, but is. Can you remember exactly what that felt like? Yeah, I remember exactly what I was wearing, what I was doing, and everything about it. Because yeah. uh, you know, I've been writing this story. Mm. Um, I've got a next book out, which is getting 
hopefully published by the end of next month. Um, and I kind of brought a lot of stuff from my childhood into this one. Mm. So I kind of had to reflect. And that's that, 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 that. I remember I was tripping. I took a, an MBS, Mind, Body and Show. We were out, we were grafting. There was a few of us, we were doing things that we, we shouldn't have been doing, but we did it anyway. This is what we did when we were kids. We didn't have air, we didn't know any better. Now, I always justified it that my mum said, don't go out and get caught stealing cars. She never said, don't go out and steal cars. So I think, okay, that's a good idea. So I'll justify that and then, you know, um, the feeling I went for it was like, it was, I didn't feel it getting bit off. Mm. You know, it was quite, it was quite like uh, numbing. Mm. Uh, but what it did do is it picked it up when the, the, the guy fled and, you know, a few of my friends going, oh my God, your ears on the floor. And I was thinking, what the fuck? <laughs> I had a ski shoes on, right? Back in the 80s, this was, by the way, right? Probably in the summer, Shizzler. Um, so we had this ski shoes on with about 20 different zips. And he said, just put it in your pocket. The ambulance is on its way. <laughs> so I did. I put it in one of these zips and the ambulance turns up and he went saying, okay, so where's your ear? And it was like a, it was like a nightmare was... trying to find it. It took about <laughs> seven, eight minutes before I pulled it out with a bit of fluff on it. And he stuck it in this gel bag. And then he took me to Western Hospital. And he had a micro surgery. <coughs> On, on, in the theatre straight away to stitch this ear back on and he did he stitched it back on it was I can't remember but could you imagine lying on a bed right tripping your box off while getting your ear stitched and the thoughts and the, 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 that were going through my mind that they were really really uninvited you know what I mean it was all the lights were going everywhere I was getting it stitched on and then it ended and um, I went home with a big bandage told my mum and I had to go back and I can't remember I think it was six weeks or something later and it was black and it looked like a quaver oh. like, a, like a curly just yeah yeah so it was and, and I didn't I don't know I didn't want to lose it you know for through them six that six weeks period I kind of like oh the fucking lose my ear and all that and the doctor was tapping it from behind and he said how many taps is there I thought I'll have to guess this you know this is like the, the what I was thinking this is the way I was thinking if, if I guess it you know we leave it on yeah so, he said he hadn't even tapped it. And, yeah. You know, I was saying two. And um, that was it. He had to take it back off again. And then what? That's and then it. that was it. I've got like half a satellite and I kind of struggled with my self-esteem around building relationships up with girls. So I had this image then, which was an hard look. Yeah. I mean, you're half of the year. You know, you've got a face like you've been, it's been punched in. No, and it became a coping mechanism for me because I remember my mum saying to me years ago, what do you want for Christmas? And I was only six or seven and I went, wait. She said, what do you want weights for? Don't you want like a Star Wars Millennium Falcon or a BMX? And I was like, no, I want weights. And she asked me why and I said, because I wanted to protect her because I was to get bullied by my dad for years. And um, it was difficult. And I was really skinny, I had little knobbly knees, I had freckles, you know. I was getting called shit splash in school, that was my nickname. Fucking shit splash. Cornflakes and shit splash. You know, I had all these freckles. Wow. I used to go in and go, my mum said these are the shine of beauty. Well, fuck off. Shit splash. So That's not unusual though in Liverpool for kids to have freckles and knobbly knees. Because I remember when I used to go visit my grandma, there was a kid with freckles and knobbly knees next door to me. And he was a hard kid. Mm. Uh, there's something about knobbly knees that make you hard. <laughs> uh, so do you, do, you, do you think you were bullied or do you think you were... Yeah, I was bullied because, you know, we, we were poor in a sense. We had, um, 
No, no, we never wore Farrah's trousers or Ben Sherman shirts. We got government funded clobber and it was like you knew it. Yeah. You know what I mean? You knew it and um and, and everyone knows it. And point. everyone knows it. Yeah. And kids are cruel as well. So but it's, it's funny, but in the rough area, I mean, I grew up on a council estate as well. It's weird, but because none of you have got now, it's, it's, it's really apparent who has anything almost. Mm. like. So like what trainers you were wearing when I was mm. a kid was massive. Like if you had night trainers... Like, it didn't matter if everything else you're wearing was shit. Mm. You had night trainers, that means you're you're safe then. No one can yeah. tell you anything. And Liverpool was a bit of a, especially in the 80s, was actually like the place where people wanted to dress yeah. like nice. Because Liverpool fans, and I guess not Everton fans, but Liverpool fans were going around Europe, uh, you know, finding new fashion out and sort of bringing back all these. Like you say, you were wearing the zipper suit. That was like a bit in fashion at the time. Yeah, it was, yeah, they, you couldn't. Be seen Zelda now, unless you were on the Alps. But you said that your dad, especially, was like a, a figure of uh, struggle for you, mm. and you wanted to get big and strong so you could protect your mom. I mean, I fucking totally get that coming from a single parent family. Uh, how long was he in your life for early on? He was in our lives up until you know, me um, mum kicked him out really, uh-huh. which was I was like an, almost an adult by this time. Really, there was six of us, so I think my mum found it difficult. Having to manage, but you know, even him being there was he wasn't any benefit to, mm. to the to the households. He was more of a you know, a big drinker, very controlling, Victorian dad, going to bed at six o'clock at night. I remember um I used to hate the the end tune to 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 the shepherd shows, um Oh my god. Can't even remember it now, but it was fucking horrible. <laughs> uh, because I knew we'd have to go to bed straight after it. Really? Crossroads. Oh, right, yeah. I don't know if you've ever... Yeah, you've I remember too that. Young, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I remember the reruns of Crossroads. Then anyway, used to go to bed after that, but it was there was a lot of um, violence and... So I was subjected to getting beaten a lot. Um, I don't know why it was, and, you know, I just kind of always wanted me dad's approval, wanted his love, wanted his attention, wanted him just to kind of tell me that he loved me, which... It was really, really difficult. And, you know, he was a boxer. I'd never seen him fight. Mm-hmm. But he told me these great stories of when he was pissed about all these these, these fights he'd had. So I joined a boxing club. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, open, he'd show me some some attention. You know, and he did. I joined the boxing club and he did. Um, briefly, and it was nice. But then I started to build my own confidence and my own self-esteem. And I didn't need... Him in my life. When was that? Like when you, what, your early teens or sort of? I'd say about between like 14 and 16. Yeah, you start to grow away yeah. or closer, don't you? Yeah, yeah from, the, from the ages of 14 to 16, it was like, you know, I'm on my own here. I don't really need you. And that's the reality that was already going on. You just became more aware of it then, eh? Yeah. You were like, ah, you're not yeah. a dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you, you took these skills, ironically. They basically were everything when you were in that Thai prison, by the looks of it, anyway, yeah. became a massive part of keeping yourself uh, alive. Yeah. You know what I mean? What you learned there in that boxing club. Um, going into the prison... Can I can I ask one question before we go into the prison mm-hmm. bit? Because uh, the movie... So the movie starts, mm-hmm. uh, just to lay out for people who haven't seen it, the movie starts very quickly, and basically yeah. on uh, Joe Cole, not the footballer, um, although he'd be excellent, mm-hmm. Uh doing drugs and living a lifestyle which isn't particularly, um, there's not much self-love in it. It's basically a, a drug-fueled lifestyle out in Thailand, right? 
And so the police burst in and obviously arrest you. How I kind of want to know how we got to that point Absolutely. where you end up in Thailand, yeah. <laughs> where you because it's not a usual thing to go halfway around the world and do that. And no, and the story, and I always share this because it's it was quite significant in my life. And I'll, I'll there was a big massive change in in the way I lived. It started on a prison roof in Walton Prison in two thousand three, and. Um, it was on that never-ending cycle of going to prison, institutions, near-death experiences, sick inside of being sick inside, fed up of it all, uh, not knowing there was a way out, didn't want to use drugs, knew there was something inside me that said, fuck this man, there's enough's enough, but not knowing what to do. And my answer was I'll climb on the roof, and I remember like it was the hottest day of the year, we were on the yard, and I was about to under inmates out, and it went round, the whispers went round, we're going to stay out for a shit out, you know what I mean? We're not going back in, it's too hot, it's fucking hot in there, no one's going back in, you're up for it, and everyone, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it escalated, let's get on the roof. And I thought that was a great idea, you know. And how we how we got up there was, um, it was amazing, because the kids, we had to get, like, sheets thrown out the window, we had to get tied them into knots, into, into ropes. <laughs> get this kid called Osti to climb up this drain pipe, shimmy up it because it had a little barrier around it. How we got up was, 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 was like beyond me. Um, and he reached the top. But when he got to the top, the whole prison just cheered and yelled with screams of approval. I mean, the windows were banging, go ahead, lad, go on, Austin! And he was up there like Rocky Balboa. <laughs> go on! And I just looked up and I just fucking craved that attention. I just wanted it. Um, and I wanted to be him up there getting all that, mm-hmm. all them tears. You know, so two guys got up and then it was my turn. You know, and I was the oldest. You know, I was a little bit overweight by this stage. I'd, I'd been on antidepressants for a few weeks and, you know, I was taking any kind of dough you could get hold of. But I didn't want to carry on and continue. So I was halfway up and I remember this screw called Mr Muscle and he shouted, you'll never get up there, you fat ass. And so is he just watching? Yeah, because he couldn't come out. And I fell off the roof. Well, not off the roof, off halfway up. And landed right on a coxswain in my ass. I was oh, fucking yeah. sore. And the shame I was filled with, like, motivated me to, to go again because I didn't want to get, like, just didn't want to have them feelings kicking in. And it turned into something like a North Sea rescue with the guys at, at the top of the roof trying to pull me up. <laughs> like, fucking get a puppy, make the cuss out of us. Well, it gets to the top and it gets the same jubilation that you got. The cheers, the yells, the screams. Go ahead, lad, fucking amazing. And then it went silent. It was over. And then it was about the guy getting up next. Mm. And I thought, what the fuck have I done? And I wanted to, you know, seriously contemplate that I was just jumping off because I envisaged myself getting fucking, like, beaten and uh, uh, taking down a block and, you know, spending... And on a day they got taken down a block, um, the segregation unit... And this is what changed my life. This is the, the, the coming to the question. I was like, I'm in a, um, I'm in a segregation unit in Armley in Leeds on an eight-man unlock. I've just come, come off a roof in Liverpool. There were 16 of us. We got dispersed all over the UK. I'm in a shell, and the guy next door to me asked me for a light. And uh, by the time I got a light to him, a match through one of the cleaners, he'd killed himself. You know, he dung himself and he was a young lad and um, kind of it's home and I was sitting in my shell and I was crying and I was sobbing into my pillow but I was the door was open and I was acting tough and, you know, putting on a brave face and I remember sitting down and, 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 and wondering what I needed to do and I phoned my mum, 
No, like I'm a, I'm not a mummy, mummy's boy by any, you know, I don't really speak to my mum and, and share my feelings and we don't have feelings where we come from. And I spoke to my mum, two screws up in the door, took me to the phone, swaggers out, you know, that image, that mask. My mum picked up the phone after a couple of rings and, and she was just like, the love that came out of her voice, she was like, are you okay, son? What's going on? And I couldn't even answer it. You know, I had a lump in my throat. I had tears welling up my eyes. I had these two big screws standing next to me in the force. If they see me, like, uh, breaking down, breaking down, and uh, it'll be a weakness and they'll judge me. And that, you know, all that masculinity, that male masculinity that we. It's we, at the worst possible point, though, in yeah, prison, isn't it? Yeah. I've watched a lot of fucking prison shows and you show any weakness and that's it. Like. Yeah. So that was what I didn't want to show any weakness. <clears throat> and I went back to that cell. And you know what my mum said to me? She knew. Never had to say nothing. She just went, I know you're hating. Because I couldn't answer it. Yeah. I was just, she was going, I know you're hating. You don't have to say nothing. She said, son, just ask for help. That was the first time anyone, that I'd, well, probably people had told me for years to get help, right? But that was the first time it sunk in. There was a, the, that window of opportunity, it, it sunk into my heart. And I went, fuck, I went back to shell, sobbed. And then I, I wrote this letter to this probation officer and I said, look, can you? Can you can you can can you can you help me here? And he got me into a rehabilitation, a drugs rehabilitation in Bristol. I put conditions on it. He said, you know, where do you want to go? I said, I want one with women, <laughs> you know, with a gym down south where it's hot. You know, putting conditions on my own kind of recovery. <laughs> he's, he's sitting there going, I fancy yeah. uh, south of France. Uh, yeah. yeah, a wish list. Yeah, yeah. A wish list. Yeah. So this is, you know, you want help, but you want fucking. Good help. Yeah, you want yeah. benefits with it. You know, you're forgetting that you've just been in like degradation and desperation and just pure loneliness for years. And you're in prison. And you're in prison. Wrong. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you're in prison yet again, you know what I mean? For, 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 for doing something wrong. And um, this this was like the catalyst, really. It was in, I was in, I found an understanding and, and some awareness around my drug use, you know, and I got clean. And then I got invited on a three month backpacking holiday to Thailand. Which turned into to, 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 to five years, you know. But when I was out there, you know, I'm a world class card carrying pleasure seeker. You know, I'll fucking squeeze myself into a tight pair of onesies just to get a feeling. <laughs> it's just like I just wanted to change the way I felt. You know, and I'm meeting loads of different people, and it's exciting, it's tropical. I've never been, I'd never left Liverpool unless it was on a sweat box. So I'm on a, I'm on a flight now in Thailand. And, um, must have been quite exciting. It was. It was a fucking amazing. I loved it. The food was fucking boss. And, and, and the women were like, I love you. What's your name? And I was like, it doesn't matter. You know, <laughs> I just felt like a superstar. Um, yeah, because you're, you're obviously walking around. Were you quite muscular at the time? <coughs> yeah, yeah. I was young, muscular. I was um, I was single, no kids, uh, no ties. No, there was nothing holding me back. I was free. You know, my mate said, uh, I, I boxed for England when I was a kid. Right. You know, that's what he achieved. Kind of greatness in them kind of areas and I wanted a box in Thailand and he said don't get in the ring with these times they'll break your ribs within minutes and I went alright yeah child and I got in the ring and I got my ribs broken you know and the insanity repeating the same mistake and expecting different results was uh, do it again and then do it again but every time I, I got back in I learned something new mm-hmm. you know I'm not one of those people who's just oh, fucking I'm going to get back in and, 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 and I and I, and I still, I excelled in that sport due to the fact that I had skills with my hands. You know, I learned to, to, to throw kicks and knees and elbows. So that was Muay Thai? Mu, that was Muay, Muay uh-huh. Thai, yeah. And, um, you know, he went back home. 
And the day before, he said, well, we're off. Right, well, I'm staying. I'm going to learn a new language, adopt a new culture and stay here. Where in Thailand was it? Chiang Mai. And so is that quite a big city or is it a smaller... It's like the second biggest city in Thailand. You've got right. Bangkok and then Chiang Mai. Okay. The, the two, so you're two not big... out in the sticks like no, out in the middle of nowhere. No, you're in a big built-up city at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's not massive, but it's, it's big enough. How, like... did, how did you afford to live at that point? I was boxing for tips. Um, wow. I was boxing for tips. I had a job teaching English because he had a TEFL that I'd, I'd studied for teaching English as a foreign language. So I got a job in it, um, an educator of a little big school. So we had 50 kids. <laughs> Does that mean there's a load of Thai kids? With Scouse accents. Yeah. I fucking love that. You know that. what, right? It was, I got the sack in the end, but it was fucking... <laughs> I'm not imagine? surprised. My, my, <laughs> Good morning. All these Thai kids just looking it up. That's what it was like. It was like, I went into uh, my first class. I had 50 students and I shit myself. I was like, what am I supposed to say? Yeah. yeah. I had a shit and a say on the... I look like John Cena, one of them said. Imagine as well, though, you're those kids yeah. and then you walk in. They must have been like, what the hell? It was, yeah, it was like, I just felt like I was, I felt like a fraud. Yeah. Even though I had a cephal and I could teach English, you know, I didn't know what to teach them. And I was just, it was scouse in a sense, you know what I mean? And, you know, now then, what's happening? And, you know, just to entertain. But, you know, I, I did do my best in some areas. I did try, but that wasn't, it wasn't for me. Right. It was just a means to an end to pay the bills. I boxed off an evening and I got a job as Sylvester Stallone Stone stands in on Rambo, which... Unbelievable, by the way. Yeah. I read this about you. I was reading, you were like, I'm like, <laughs> fucking stunt double as Rumble. Yeah. Like, of all the, you've had a mad life already, but throwing yeah. that in there, it's just yeah. crazy. Some people just go, some people just have that as a story. Yeah, yeah. That, you know that, I mean? That's enough to get it. on the podcast. Yeah. They go to dinner, they go to dinner parties and they don't tell the rest of the story. They just go, I was a Rambo stunt double. That's enough, was, isn't it? That's brilliant. No. That's really good, Dave. You've what, done well. What the fuck was that like, dude? Like meeting Sylvester Stallone and doing that with him. And was he impressed with how much you looked like him? No, because I didn't look like him. It was a stand-in. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> it was a, he's had a stunt double. It was a Polish guy, I think. Yeah. Quite, quite, quite rarely like, resembled him. I was in, um, I was in a gym saying, and I met this guy on a running machine and he looked familiar. And I couldn't pitch it. I couldn't like pitch it where I'd, I'd seen him. His lips were just full up in everywhere. No, this was a this was a guy from England, Matt oh. Marsden. He was on. Um... I was sorry, I thought he was meeting Slice Stallone. Oh wait, so, yeah, he's yeah, just yeah. on a run. Oh, was, yeah. You, 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 yeah. Hey, yo, Billy, what's yeah. happening? <laughs> uh, no, it's it was it was a young guy, and he said, uh, "I said, you know, you one of the boxers because you know I was in that circle at the time." And he went, "No, man, you know, I said you look familiar." He went, "I'm on Coronation Street." You might have seen me. My name's Matt Marsden. I didn't watch Curry, but he did kind of look familiar. And he, he explained why he was in Thailand and they were making Rambo and I got really excited about it. You know, all the best. And then a couple of days later, a casting crew come in, taking, like, asking, you know, non-size, all the Westerners did. Um, there wasn't many of us in there, you know, taking our numbers and taking pictures and, you know, would be interested in um, being extras. And I said, yeah, yeah. So they give me a call a week later and I thought it was a wind-up. Hey, Billy! We'd like you to be Sylvester Stallone stunt standing. Can you do that? And I was like, what the fuck? Who's this? What? Who is he? <laughs> what do you mean, standing? Don't look nothing like him. No, man, he, he just need a standing. His, his, other, his other standing's got the shits, man. He had the green curry and he got the shits. <laughs> Unbelievable. So I went on set. I, I was like thinking, this is a blog. And when I met the, the Royal Orchard Hotel in Chiang Mai, I went there, it was 5 a.m. I thought, get me out of fucking bed early. There's got to be a blog this. Gets there and and the there all the cast gets me in this little mini bus and takes me to the, um, this jungle and and there he was Stallone just walked 
by. And he had a presence, seriously, right? I've never felt nothing like it. Like, I'm not like one of them star stuff, but it was like, fucking wow. You know, I grew up watching Rocky. Yeah. He was my, he was my hero. Yeah. You know, he was he, Rocky Bellboard and Rambo and, and, and just that, to have the opportunity to be on set and be a part of Unit 1 with him was amazing. And I ended up in a gym. I ended up hounding him and speaking to him because I'm buzzing a dead excited. I was quite likeable, I think, mm-hmm. because he brought me into his game. Um, <laughs> and he would have loved the fact that you were an actual fighter as yeah, well. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he'd yeah. come and watch me fight. And he, um, wow. he said, yeah, man, he's a warrior. Because Kevin King is a scouser and he was his, uh, he's his producer. Mm. He's his well, he manager. He works with him. He's a self-made millionaire. He went to the LA and... and, and Got lucky with Stallone and worked with him for, for, for decades. Must have been how Tony Bell you ended up working yeah. with him as well. Get all the jobs for the boys. Get all the scouts involved. <laughs> but yeah, it was it, that was like that was amazing. I was on Unit One with him for um, for a little while and got to chat with him and spend a bit of time with him. He didn't speak much, but it was you know he was a gentleman. He was never out of character as well. Yeah, that's because he's he's not actually an actor. No, he's, actually he's just, just a man who plays variations. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's like he's yeah. Just, fucking, I was like, yo, yeah. You know, and I remember he asked for a volunteer because he was going to rip this Burmese soldier's windpipe out with his bare hands. Mm. And he wanted, like, the, the light and the camera and all that set. And, you know, the guy had all this this, this stuff, yeah. Out, yeah. So I, I, I said, I'll stand in. And he's got his hands around my throat. And I was like, okay. And I went to Kevin. I said, nah, no one can actually fucking rip someone's windpipe out with the bare hands. And he went... Rambo camp. <laughs> <laughs> and that was enough. And, you know, it was just fucking great. So, yeah, that was that was an experience as well. Yeah. You know, when you talk about the, the movie starting, like, I would totally be starstruck by Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I can, what I'm imagining is you on set and him going, I need a volunteer. And you're like, straight away. Yeah, yeah. yeah my hand went up. And then as he's doing it, you're just going, <laughs> he's got his hand around. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that no, must be so weird. There's movie stars and then there's Sylvester Stallone. He's yeah. a legendary. Yeah, he is. The whole family is really. They're quite an interesting. Uh, but the Rocky set. story, the fact that he went and he wrote that himself, and they were like, "No, like we want the script off you." All these um, production companies were like, "We'll take the script, but we're going to get someone who like is an actual actor to play." And he's like, "No, no, you only get this if I play it." And that's yeah. he forced his way in. I but love that. That, that then made like uh, that made Matt Damon, Ben Affleck did the same yeah. thing, inspired by him. So he's like made a generation of people. In many ways, he was like the guy who inspired. That, that YouTube kind of feel where it's like you're going to make your own thing you're going to star in it it's kind of mad how him and like Arnie are like best mates now they're on each other's Instagram they mm. hang out with each other like daily oh, well, they were in the Expendables or whatever it was wasn't they? That, that movie. well the, Sylvester's were made the Expendables but Arnie mm. came in wow later whatever. so anyway it, I mean yeah we're telling his story now yeah. um, so then you made that money but you were still boxing how did you then were you doing drugs and boxing at the same time, or did you? Realize? No, it, what happened was I was I was I was in recovery. I was clean. I was abstinence. I stopped taking drugs, you know. Um, and then I started meeting people, you know. Mm. And I started meeting girls, and I didn't understand, you know, the affairs of the arts and the emotional upheaval, the rejection. You know what I mean? It was easy when you're on drugs. You can just fucking dismiss her, and she's a lesbian. <laughs> you know what I mean? If she, just, if she doesn't fancy it, she's got to be a lesbian. That was my, my mindset. So Such a mature outlook on life, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, and that's yeah. just the way it was. And, um, you know, and I met this girl and, and our relationship was based on addiction. I mm-hmm. found out she was with another guy and, you know, because she wasn't answering her phone and, you know, she was going missing at the weekends and it felt deeply in love and she wasn't a bad girl. She had to be different. She was amazing. And she couldn't speak a word of English. 
and I found out she was um, she was she was with a guy. At this dictionary, and it was like, Tamai, Tamai, she went, Tamai, 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 which meant why? Because that's all I could fucking say. Right. Why? 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 And then you know, in broken English, in the best broken English that she could muster, she went, "I love you, same same him, no problem." And I was like, "But there is in England, it's me and you, end of, not me, you, and and, and your fella." Yeah. I was trying to explain because their culture was totally different. And anyway. It broke me heart. It broke me heart, and and I remember the pain I was feeling. I was clean at the time as well. It was horrible the pain. And no matter how many times you got in the ring, you know you could put a plaster on a cut, and you could you could mend a broken arm, but like you couldn't put a plaster on a broken arm. You know what I mean? And it was like unless it was just another disaster that was in in in, in waiting. Did you go and fight more after, after where you were like yeah. so raging? You were like, yeah. just get me in the ring. Yeah, it was just more. I had five fights, literally every night. Nice show fights, most of them. Literally, every night. And, and Jesus. I swear, I remember the, the, the young Thai guys, they, they, they were in a show fights with me. They didn't want to get in the ring in here with me. They were like, nah, we're not. You know, when you say show fights, do you mean uh, like exhibitions? Exhibitions. But they were never... But you weren't going 100%, I'm assuming. Or was this all out trying to knock them out? This was all out. This was this this was them. Uh, exhibition. Boxing or Muay Thai? Muay Thai. Oh, fucking... And this was me. How can you even do that? Going all out. So you find like hard, hard, what, Dude, how, how like, long are you fighting? How long are you in the ring for a night? Five. Well, fights? like three rounds or something. Yeah, I was. It was like you know, it was three rounds, but it was like <clears throat> I don't know. I was quite fit. Right. I believed I was quite fit oh, at shit. the time. Well, you're I mean, fighting all out every night. Like that. That the mental thing about this is obviously we, we now have UFC, which has brought like Muay Thai, uh, like pop culture in the Western world, and it's like that is the worst form of striking. And you're doing it every night. Yeah, 12 rounds. If you're doing it 12 rounds, you, yeah. you, you were always managing 12 easy. You know what I mean? But within threes, 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 breaks, because they'd have to go in as well, yeah. because they'd have to... Like, they'd, so it was like a in, tournament every night? It was, it was, yeah, it was like a tournament okay. every night. The further you get, the more money you get? Or yeah. you just No, pay? it was just tips. It was just, you know, it was never any massive competitions. So I, how you fight depends on... So the more entertaining you are, the, the Yeah, the more entertaining you are. And, and the, I was an asset... Because I could communicate mm. with the foreigners. And I sort of put myself on them as well. Say, look, you get in the fucking ring, right, and try and pay the bills the way we are. Do you know what I mean? I'd make it about the, the kid. Uh-huh. My agenda was mine. It was all self-centered. Yeah. You know, I wanted to... Look, these fucking poor... I'm fucking skinned, by the way. Mm. Right? I was skinned, but I wasn't letting them know. I was making it about them. What do you mean? Do you got a family to feed? So I'd manipulate... Really? Um, the, uh, the crowd, because... You're a bit of a showman. Then. Yeah, cool. that was that was that was it. And then you're the Conor McGregor of that group. Well, no, he was the, the Western guy. Though, yeah, you, you would have stuck out like well, a no, but That's where I learned most of me, um, most of me technique from. No, no camps, no schools, no training. Where you, you know your regimental, your routine, and you get kicked in the fucking ribs. You need to lift your knee up, Bill. Right. And I was like, they couldn't speak English and I couldn't speak Thai. I was getting kicked in the neck, kicked in the ribs, kicked at the back of the, the leg, the sciatic nerve. I was going down, I was like, what the fuck? And I just watched and observed and thought, yeah, all right, lift that knee up. You know what I mean? They're, they're scared of your hands, so they're going to avoid, they're going to tip you, they're going to keep coming with the knees, they're going to push you, they're going to try and hold you, get out of all that. And I learned pretty quick and he adapted. And it became a part of what uh, the ring, you know what I mean? And it was mine, I'm in control of it. You're not fucking hurting me because I've been here all my life and there's no one going to put me fucking down no more. And that's what was going through my mind. And then this relationship ended and I was thinking, fuck this, mate. You know what I mean? I, I'm really angry and they, they could sense it. 
And it was a part in the film where it happens to me all the time, but I get really, when I get hurt, you know, it, it was full of rage. I took it out on the people that were closest to me. Because these were friends. These were like, these were like, like the, the comrades. Yeah, comrades. They were, they had, you know, That's relationships. strange because you're like, you're like a, a team, like a bit like the yeah. W, it's like the WWE, it's like yeah. tight wrestling type thing. You're all mates behind the scenes, but you, you actually have to beat the fuck out of each other as well mm. every night. That's a bizarre relationship to have. Yeah, it was, and um, and it was, it wasn't great money. It, 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 it but what, 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 what it led to then is like, you know, the relationship ended, and, and there's a saying, you know, you sit in a barber shop long enough, you you're going to end up with an haircut. You know, I used to sit in these bars every night drinking water. You know, I've got loads of pain emotionally going on. Physically, I can take punches all day long and, it, you know, it doesn't bother me. But when, you know, you're getting, you know, them feelings of fucking hell, the rejection, the loss, the longing, the loneliness, you know. Um, you know and, 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 and it becomes a glass of water, then it becomes a Red Bull and then it becomes, have a whiskey. And you know, I know, because I've got a bit of an understanding. I'm three years clean by this time. And I've got this understanding that if I take that drink, that there's going to be an outcome, there's going to be a consequence. And I remember, fucking, it, it, it was just a battle within. <coughs> all that conflict going on. You know, it was, it was a fight. It was fucking really, really hard. And I just went, it was whiskey, and I don't even like whiskey. And I wanted a brandy, but they didn't sell it over there. And I just took this, 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 one gulp of this whiskey, and I felt the burning sensation going down, you know, my throat, and then, um, bang. You know, I've got allergic reactions to drugs. You know, I don't break out in lumps and bumps. I break out in handcuffs. Prison sentences, pain, misery, and loss. And that's what happened. I just jumped on a bike with another friend, fucked off to Burma and bought China White, pure heroin. I don't go, okay, let's go to the bar and just enjoy a night out and party and then go home and sleep. Let's go to fucking Burma, the Golden Triangle, buy some heroin and fuck us, fuck our lives out up. And that's what it did to come back. And then because the, the, you know, the gear was so strong, I wanted to be a little bit more... What's it, cocaine? We don't sell cocaine over here. We'll get you a yabba. Mm -hmm. What the fuck's that? It's a, it's crazy drug, basically, that yabba. It's, that's what it's translated as, which was methamphetamine. And we got this, this drug that I'd never fucking seen, never took before, and it took it to another level. And it was like a souped-up crack cocaine that gave you a 12-hour shift. Like, you're just, like, on fire. And that got me in the ring even more. I was fighting even more. I was fucking angry. Me, me, uh, you know, sounds of mind and clarity, it was gone long. I started getting a little bit more. Um, fucking, I got, I got a drugs off with the, with the Thai guys and, and um, started to sell them to, to foreigners because I could, they would go, they would, you sell that, you do So I did, to make ends meet. Um, just to fund me habit, really, that I developed by this time. I was in a full-blown relapse, and it, it took a few months before I was arrested and then incarcerated. You know, but I was fucking that paranoid. You know, you know, I had to fucking sell the fridge because it was every time he opened it up, it was speaking to me in Spanish. You know what I mean? I was like, what the fuck? It was just the, 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 my mind. I mean, was, this is a cocktail of disaster, isn't it? Because not yeah. only it's the drugs, like you're probably getting a bit of brain damage on a nightly yeah. basis at this point. Like, you know, that, yeah, there'd be a lot of concussions in there. Oh, sure. that's a, that's a black eyes, you know, yeah. be, my head would be throbbing yeah. like a box of oranges. It was quite, you know, there'd be black and blue, would be getting massages off these side bears every night, you know, <laughs> fucking, because it was just fucking painful. Yeah, and it was wow. quite cheap. So really. you were basically just stuck in a cycle. And yeah. You didn't, and you weren't conscious enough to get out of it. No, really. no. And I wasn't, that is where the movie picks up, really. Yeah. I should have went home. 
I should have yeah. went home. This is what people saying go home, but I had the shame of it. Relapsing, not selling my mum, not selling my family, not selling any of my friends. You know, just keeping it a secret. You know, kept it like kept me in it. You know, until, shame um, is one of the worst things. Isn't fucking it? shame is shit. It was like shame is like, you know, I shouldn't be shamed into silence. That shame would keep me silent. Mm. You know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with failing, but no. we also like people are so scared of failing because everyone else will go, "You failed," and say. Like, well, at least I tried. Like, but we, we don't yeah. take anything. Yeah. It's very hard to have that attitude, isn't it? It also so rarely happens that people, mm. if you do admit failure or admit shame, most people don't point at you and go, "You're a fucking idiot." Most of them go, oh, "Sorry about that. Let me yeah. help you out." Yeah. But you never. Your but in our heads, yeah, your mind tricks you to get. Especially to that extremists point. like you, like people who are always trying to be the best like, yeah. at something. Your 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 own biggest critic, I would mm. assume, as well. Oh, was definitely, yeah. yeah. You know, I was aim. Um, I just found I was I was I was just locked in this fantasy. Even my friends were going, look, Bill, you know, get back to reality. And I said, This is reality, this is my fucking reality, this is what it is. I was trying to convince myself and manipulate myself into believing it. But the but the but the the, the, the fact was it was it was like a, it was a it was a total fucking nightmare. You know, I ended up it was that skinny I could angle eyes off a of fucking zero. So I'd lost all my weight. Yeah. Um this this police officer called Pinong at my door every night and he was using drugs with me right. so the corruption was, was was fucking massive I felt it was bulletproof I thought I could get away with anything you know and then I get arrested with a mobile phone a few you know I had drugs in the house I remember the arrest it was um, and it was one of the side boxes sadly that grasped me up was it a bit of a surprise to you when the police came bursting through the doors because like you say you th- thought you were bulletproof yeah, it was. It, I, I, I remember the call. I, I got a call off um, one of the young side boxers who we'd done show boxing with. He's fucking slippery at the best of times. He was always, you know, he had his own agenda. Um, so you worked out that it was him? Yeah, no, he phoned me up and he went, believe, you know, I've got your trainees in my uh, tuk-tuk. Where are you? I'll bring them round. And, and I was just woke up at this, at this, at this time. So we're still half asleep and I shared them in such an apartment and I put the phones on and then he'd still be there in fucking 10 minutes or something. And as it lay back, I thought, mm. that's odd. Mm-hmm. Really odd. Something was niggling at me and I knew this. He's phoned me up. He's offering to bring them round. He's never done a fucking thing for me. You know what I mean? Why would he do it? And what's... And I got up, went to the door and I seen four armed police sprinting up the stairs and knew they were busy straight away. You know, they weren't, they were... They, they were they were playing clothes, but I just knew. You know what I mean? And I looked around. I had a, I had a, a Colt forty-five on the on the bed stand. I had a load of drugs, loads of tie stick weed, loads of yabba tablets, and that was my first priority. There's, there's no fucking window. You know what I mean? To throw it out of. Plugged all them. Just stuck them right up me. We call it plugging it. <laughs> Plightly up my back passage. Um, that's you know you're not that's getting... weird. that's one of the first things you see in the movie as yeah. well. And I was like, holy shit! Like yeah. this guy, it's just like <laughs> that scene yeah. in the movie is, is is how it was. It's intense. Yeah. It's just how it was. It's it's it was great the way John Stefan, the director, got that. It was like we spoke about that scene because it was it was paramount to the, you know the arrest, you know, and then the incarceration, you know, and then the drugs sticking. And I remember like getting them up there and they, they found a gun and the gun went missing because it was a new gun and the weapons went missing. 
Uh, and then he had a few phones lying around and then I, I, I'm wondering about this gun I'm going to get a long time and you know, I realised that the, you know it wasn't really that important because you got nine months tops for a gun over in Thailand you know what I mean uh, and, and I got arrested for handling a stolen mobile phone and this is what I was using like the phone Jesus. for but for drug deals I was like changing the phone because of the paranoia the shims I was buying phones and you know I, unfortunately I got caught with a few um, I got three years three years for a stolen mobile and yeah I don't know what you're getting so, in the first time mobile phone. So the, that's where the film yeah, picks so up, you, isn't it? Yeah, you say you go into the, uh, the prison in the movie and then, uh, like, shit the drugs out and that, and it yeah. looks fucking painful. Like, it doesn't yeah. look pleasant. But it, uh, what I was really struck by in that first scene when you were arrested is mm. your level of, like, resistance and resilience. Mm. I think a lot of people would just sort of be like, go down, stay quiet, and, you know, just, yeah. just be I a think- bit more subservient. The whole way through this film, the way they portray you, which earned a lot of respect from my side was you're constantly pushing back. Mm-hmm. You're surrounded in a cell by all those guys. You're pushing them back. The police are trying to arrest you. You're pushing it's not them like there's back. There's no fear. There's there's fear there, but it's like you all also seem to be well aware of the fact that if you show too much weakness, you're going to be a victim. You're driven. Mm-hmm. There's something. There's something like there's something propelling you to, uh, to a place of like I'm not going to fucking take this shit I've took all my life from anyone mm-hmm. I've stopped taking that and I'm not going to continue you know taking it again from anyone so it was it got to a point where I didn't want to get arrested because I didn't want to do a withdrawal mm-hmm. <laughs> simple so I f- resist you know what I mean I went to the prison I didn't want to get intimidated and told what to do because I'd get walked all over you know and that first experience of going in my shell was a fucking nightmare I mean I remember walking picture it going into the into the prison and um Shitting down around the one plate with about half a dozen other ties, you know, a bit of stickulation and this soup that you couldn't even identify, and it stunk. What did it taste like? Oh, it's like fucking mud, like 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 sweaty fish. It was like you know them them catfish that they chop up. It was like all kinds of bits of whatever. I, I remember putting a spoon in. <laughs> I was fucking and then like the second day. I was by this time I was really hungry. I put a spoon into this bowl. And pulls out like half a chicken's head with a moeking. And I was like, oh, the f-. And I was feeling ill anyway. I was ready just to latch it and just launch it. And this this Thai guy grabbed it and just started sucking the heads off it. And That's fucking weird. He was quite pleased. Yeah, because I think they uh, in Thailand they use every part of the well, chicken, feet, yeah, the chicken feet, everything. Yeah, yeah I would, I would have been fucking ten stone within been, a week, mate, because yeah. I can't deal with that shit. Yeah, I didn't myself. Um, initially, you know, but you, you, you find yourself forcing it down. You, you know, you, you, when you've got no money and you've got no friends and, and there's no one helping you, you know, you've only got one choice and you've got to eat. How, how intimidating were all those guys around? Because we see, like, they look like mean motherfuckers, these guys. Like, they tattoos all over their faces. And they're not the biggest guys, but there's so many of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're surrounding you, constantly pushing you and getting into you. And you're used to a one-on-one fight, even though you're a hard guy. Because of them, I'd been in in in, in the boxing uh, arena, and I'd, I had a few ties that was similar with tattoos. And that. when I got in there, it was like these are these are these are these are a gang, you know. These are collectively as a unit together. They're mm. gonna kind of um, that was it was it was frightening. It, what was more frightening was the stories mm-hmm. that, that I was told. Know what I mean? Uh-huh. About these guys before I met them. Okay. Know what I mean? It was like these are the HIV infected samurais. You know, they, they've got no life. Yeah. 
you know, they value they don't value your life. Eh? The, one of the threats that were made were to inject people with HIV, yeah. wasn't it? Amazing, you know, they had barrels, you yeah. know, that were um, cleverly made into syringes, and they'd fill it up with blood. Eh, and it'd be like, you know, it'd be infected HIV. I'd seen I'd seen that happen a few times. I'd, I'd witnessed the rapes, you know, I'd witnessed a murder within within a week of being in a prison in Bangkok and it was the most frightening experience of you know and I'm you know I don't witness murders every day yeah. it's not a regular occurrence oh yeah I've just seen him getting killed it was great <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't happen yeah. you know you hear about this stuff but you never actually you know it's traumatic when you see it yeah. was that this gang that did it yeah it was this gang and it was a young kid about 25 and it was a drug deal that went wrong I think it was over a phone or something they were all into something and he chased him and I seen him running past and I was standing there and the guy ran out with his chair, cracked him across the face. He fell to the floor and this other Thai kid was standing behind him and he was just slowly stabbing him. Just like, it was death shots, you know, in the neck. Yeah. It was cold, it was calculated, it wasn't done in a frenzy. They went, ah. it was just like, and, and the screams, every scream was fucking deep and it was like, I don't know, it come from the, his gut. Know what I mean? It come from somewhere deep down. It was like wow. It was in your main, right? It was like, oh. and it was like it, the, the, the weirdest thing was it was all in slow motion, and I was watching it as it was happening. And I was like, this that that feeling like of guilt and, and not being able to intervene, and then knowing that if you did, it's not even your problem. But at the same time, I was just transfixed. It was like I was just watching it. As a human, we're taught to try and. Uh stick up for each other and look after mm. people who are vulnerable and all of that but like in that scenario you've got to fucking sit down and let this fucking play out because you, you're next basically if you do anything in it well I'd already got myself into debt at this time you know and, and it was the same gang that was um, threatening me and subjecting me to, to, to threats of violence and, and the fingers across their throat and, and, and rapes and, and the old money and um, that's it beg the missionaries that used to visit us to, to help pay this debt I was and after seeing that, I thought, fuck this shit, right mm. off. Pay the debts, man. Uh, and I paid that debt. How'd you get into debt? Through drugs. Getting drugs without having any money and promising to pay them mm. by the end of the month. When we got this little 2,000 bars off the prisoners abroad. And the debts were like 10,000 by, by, mm -hmm. by this time, you know what I mean? I was giving them me protein tablets, I was giving them me vitamins, everything. I'd give them the clothes off me back, I'd sell me soul. You know, you can have everything. You know, it was, um, it was just like I had nothing. I was, I had nothing. Quite a shock to the system. It really. was, it was, it was the loneliest of it. If you, if you want to know what loneliness feels like, shit in a shell with 80 people, right? Shit in a shell with 80 people. No one can speak speak English to you. You can't explain or express how you're feeling, you know, because I felt really fucking hurt. I'm a human being, I'm a man, you know, and I don't want to uh, have this image of, like, I'm um, fucking Superman. I, I was scared and, and I'm a frightened little boy, you know, and it was only this lady boy that I was sitting in between. I was sitting in between a lady boy called Tiffany and a guy that had died. This was my first night in a fucking cell. The guy had died, right, the night before, he just left, been left. There. Just been left there for two, three days. Um, How did he die? Do you know? No idea. Didn't didn't have the, the, the fucking signs to ask. He was just 
Is that the one who's depicted where you wake up and you're right next to him and yeah. He's, yeah. he's already dead? Yeah. You're almost leaning on him like you're sleeping almost, yeah, like you you roll over and his this, face yeah, is right there. Because I'm still, I've still got these drugs that I've, I've smuggled up, up my backside, so I'm still intoxicated and mm. still under the influence. You know, this ladyboy Tiffany with this top, no money, no honey, she's, I like your blue eye. That's all I remember saying, I love your blue eye. You brought, <laughs> you brought pit. I was thinking, you don't fucking like the brown one, girl. <laughs> fucking blue one, Charles, yeah. yeah. Getting a little bit paranoid, but at the same time, feeling a little bit flattered. Mm-hmm. Really? You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, when you're feeling lonely, um, even that would probably be like better than nothing at that yeah. point. Any okay. level of affection. Yeah. Any, sort of, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, Just someone being nice to you. It was, like, it was like the humanist. And, um, but those experiences of like, like, like arms and legs, like a mass grave, it was... <laughs> It's like, where's the beds? You know, like my head going in there, it was like, oh, it's got to be like Wandsworth or, yeah. or, or somewhere in, in the UK, like you've got beds and yeah. you know, you've got a pillow and maybe an Xbox and there's a DVD player there, you know, the fucking none. You know what I mean? There's floor, no bed. Yeah. And you got a fucking bog roll as a pillow. And it's so mm. small as well. And there's, there's yeah. so many men in there that they're, they're having to cuddle up to each other yeah. almost when they're sleeping. That was weird. I was like, they're literally like hugging each other, like in like file. It's fucking balls on your head and fucking legs wrapped around you and arms. You're waking up and you're like, he's gonna fucking start kissing me. You know what I mean? It's that close. Yeah. You must have been pretty sleep deprived then. It's it's. It How was, much would you sleep? Like, because at the same time, not only that, but you're worried about the threat in the cell anyway of something happening. You must have slept with one eye open almost. The signs are very very passive, right? Right. You know when it comes to um, authority, you could have two. Staff members guarding a thousand inmates, right? And they'd be like, they would fuck, they would not do nothing, they wouldn't, you wouldn't see no riots, nothing like in the UK where everyone's banging up and kicking off, nothing. Two, two screws, and they did rule a roost. So at nine o'clock every night, a whistle would blow, you'd have to be silent. You'd hear the whistle, you couldn't speak after nine o'clock till the next day. <laughs> eight o'clock before that, eight o'clock, the uh, twice, 12, every 12 hours they'd have the, the national anthem the Thai national anthem you'd have to stand up right on the yard standing to attention while the flag was going up fucking stim your head it won't cook and go uh, been like that for years yeah. every day and I'd have to stand there but I was like this is like I'm not a prisoner of war here 8am and then 8pm 8, 8 I'd have to stand up in the shell Thai national anthem Nine o'clock, the whistle blow. No one could talk. Lights would be on. It'd be like this. No fucking light. They wouldn't switch it off. You'd expect it to be dark and gloomy and, 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 and really austere. And then deep, kind of like, what the fuck? Yeah. Bright. They'd have a guy sitting at the end of the cell on suicide watch, taking shifts every hour because it was against the rules to kill yourself. That was one. They'd read out 10 rules every morning. <laughs> One of them was you can't kill yourself. And I was trying to buy a pair of shoelaces off this Thai guy. And he, Tamai, why, why, why? I thought, I'm fucking really fucking long. I was depressed, like there was nothing mm-hmm. left and that. I didn't, I lost the will to live. And, and, he, and he was going, he was holding my hand and he was going, look, don't. He said, because what will happen is collectively, as a, as a shell, we'll be punished. Mm-hmm. This is what the rules are. And when we get punished, we get punished. And that, that was like probably one of the most like, selfless acts of like, not doing it, you know, and I've not, like you said, someone talking to you, whether it was in broken English, um, 
whether it was inside, I could see the way he was kind of, you know, his body language is enough. And then I had to learn Thai because they were giving me all the wrong medication. Right. You know, so I learned to speak Thai and I, and I learned to understand it. And that was a big mistake because I knew what they were saying about me. Yeah. You know, and it was like, uh, whoa, that caused a lot of reaction, you know, a lot of violence. A lot of that, a lot, I got beaten up a lot because, you know, I thought, you know, I'm not having this and then I get battered and I fucking do it again and battered. And it was never one to one. It was like, it was like a group of them and just attacking you. But I was like, what? it was only like this, this officer persisted. You're like the Oscar Della Oye, this prison. He said, get your shit together, man. Fucking hell, he said, go and join the boxing team because you're going to end up dead. These will never fight you one-on-to-one. If you want to fight someone one-on-to-one, you get in that ring. And he was the, uh, the only guy that um, kind of gave me a bit of attention and, and understanding. And he could speak pretty good English as well. So it was nice to converse, mm. you know, and get a message conveyed to me from, from someone who cared, in a way. Because when you're lonely like that, then anyone saying anything just feels like... Yeah, yeah. I mean, a few words at that point just makes all the difference, I suppose. It's all, yeah, yeah. And and then obviously, I'm glad that they had a boxing club yeah. in a fucking prison, though. Yeah, strange, isn't it? Bloody good looking one as well. Look mm. nice. Um. So yeah. So you you finally get to do that after they let you in there. Yeah. And you learn how to do this. This is where you, in the movie you learn Muay Thai for the first time properly. Mm. Had you already learned quite a lot of it? I'd though? already learned quite yeah. a lot of it at this stage. I think um, what how the director wants us to. The arc of the film was there was like three fights. Mm, I see that, yeah. You know, and this is how we described it to me. The first one, it's very angry, and then you get fucking. There's just like there's just no old bar, and you're going at it. You know, hell for leather. The second one, you've sort of got a little bit more skillful at it. You've learned something. You've joined a team. They've shows you a bit more direction. And the third one, you've mastered the art of it mm. in a sense because we're going to put you in with the best of the best. And mm. in this one, this is the art, and then there's that redemption and. You know, and that, that inner feeling of kind of peace, you know, you know, you it, it's 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 not like volatile and visceral and, and violent in that way. It's more controlled and, and you've developed. You're a martial artist. You're a point. martial artist. However, for me, you know, I just learned scrapyard Musai. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I never went to schools, I never went to to, uh, to, to to proper training camps where they, they do it all. I just I was learning dirty fucking sports, pure like dirty tricks, yeah. And 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 back that way. So when you went to prison, was were they training you yeah. more properly then? Yeah, there was a guy called uh, Chenam Saijai, fucking amazing. I'd love to see him again. Honestly, God, he was the Ajahn. You know, he he was like he he took me under his wing. At first, it's played by a guy called Somlak Kam Singh in the film. Mm. Now Somlak Kam Singh is a he's the only tie to win a gold medal at the Olympics in boxing. He, is he the bigger guy, the trainer in yeah. the film? Yeah, he's he was like, quite a good character, I thought. Mm. Yeah, he he's, really came he, he's, he's like the undefeated, like, fucking Musai champion of Thailand. He's like, he, he's a legend. He's a legend in Thailand. Everyone knows him. So it was great to have him on board. So we played the role of Chenam, Shai Jai. Um, and it was great that he, he, he kind of, he, he brought me into his little world and he shit me down and he talked to me like I was a fucking kid. Billy. You need to listen, like Bruce Lee, you know, like give me little morsels of a, um, like knowledge, knowledge and going, this is what you need to do. You know? and, and, and he takes his time on me. And, and that was, that, that, I felt like a part of something then unified and I was in, I was involved, you know, and I, and I've landed, man, I'm all right here. You know. And you had an outlet for all that yeah. energy inside again. Loads of anger, loads of it. Stop taking drugs. 
Because that was my problem. You know, like I said, I've got analogies to drugs. You don't fucking do too good with them. Can I, one thing that really struck me about the film, and obviously with the food being so bad, I mean, you know, you do a lot of boxing training as well. And you probably still train. You need a lot of food to mm. train. How do you end up training boxing and looking in good shape and being in good shape when the food is so bad? Well, that's that's the benefit of being in the uh, the boxing team. It's called Horn Mac. You know, they put you in a shell called Horn Mac Gila. It's um, like the sports shell, but you get privileges. Right. You know, you get extra food, which is like sustainable. You know what I mean, people get visits and you can have food handed in. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of chicken, there was a lot of beef, there was a lot of pork, there was a lot of rice, a lot of vegetables that they were bitten. So it was like wow. Fucking amazing, you know what I mean? Um, so you'd sustain, mm-hmm. no, and they'd have they'd have a running water, yeah, in the camp, you know what I mean? You know, I had a pipe, but it was there, it was constant. You didn't have to go buy it or wait in a queue. And I fill remember seeing you fight over the water in the start of the movie <laughs> just to get your bottle into the fucking. It was camp. just getting. It was just like uh, you know. Have you ever? This is how it was. Like uh, uh, you'd have to picture it coming out of a football stadium, mm-hmm. shocking, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You can't fucking move. You can't navigate. That's what it was like, mm-hmm. just trying to get some water or go to Sora, you know what I mean? Because uh, the, the film is, there's water throughout the film. It's quite interesting, actually. Like, I, I guess it's not imagery, but there is a lot of water in the film. There's, there's you uh, under just a stream of water at one point. Mm. And I think I read a review where it mentioned about the water and kind of you constantly showering or wet or damp or something like yeah. that. And weirdly, in most films... Uh, water's about washing sins away or, you know, if someone's just murdered someone, they go to the shower and they sit yeah. and they cry. But you and your cat or the character, you, you could never do that. It always just felt like the water was almost like a, a punishment separate to you. Was yeah. it, is it quite a, what's it like in the prison? It doesn't seem particularly... Um, it was abundance in a sense where you, you, there was loads of it, but you couldn't drink it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like a trough. That's it. It was about as big as this table if this was squared off and you'd be around it and it'd be like a pipe twice a day filling it up morning night and it'd be like so high and then you get a little bowl and you'd be, you'd be shrilling yourself and the whistle would go because you did three goals wow. soap yourself off three goals you'd have this blue shirt your fucking job's worth as well you know you wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't like give you like an extra wash or not you know what I mean which you pay them but um, you'd have to wash swipe it and then get it off again and, mm. and it just march on you know what I mean mm. I seen some fucking crazy things I, 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 I remember I was that conditioned to the prison and, and, and the way it was. I'd been there for a couple of years by this time. And every morning there'd be a little little hot water thing where it'd drip really, you know, for, you know, for a coffee. I'd be a queue waiting for it. And this 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 young Thai guy come running out of the office one morning. And he'd be at HIV and he was all emcicated and he was stabbing himself with his ice pick. He was going through his neck and his chest, the blood was skating everywhere. And then he had it like that, took himself hostage. It was, it was, <laughs> just took himself hostage like that. Because the guards were all surrounded, but they were like, what's going on him? He's, he's fucking definitely, you know, he's going to give us something there. And everyone, like, you know, looked and looked at the drama and the commotion. And, and I was like, the first fourth that entered my head was, I can get some more balls eh? <laughs> It was like, while, while uh, all that all was going on, yeah. you're like, fuck, I was thinking, fuck I've yeah. got a diversion. <laughs> I was like, get a coffee. Get a coffee. While he's doing that, you're in the corner going, keep going. <laughs> I'm selling someone a body, but what? Yeah. yeah. Just strike this alone. <laughs> I said, no, I said, I was grave. Yeah. But, That's you know, if that, if, if, if that had happened, you know, obviously, oh, what the fuck? You'd, you'd want to watch it. Oh, look at that. It'd it, it pass your time, you know. Obviously, it's it after it's finished with coffee. Um, <laughs> 
But yeah, that's just how it became. You know, I mean, there was a few foreigners in there who, who fucking lost it really yeah. in a big way. I mean, chewing on suspend lids and just, just, just. Was it quite a mix then? Because in the film, obviously, you're the only white guy in there. Was it? Uh, yeah, there was a lot of like when it be, there was like three hundred different nationals in, tw- in a prison for twenty thousand inmates. Wow! Well, but right. you, you're getting secluded, you know. And I, I got put in a, in, in a block where there was no foreigners in the end because of the way I was behaving. I couldn't communicate and relate with the foreigners because it's just for these just fucking arrogance. You know what I mean? There was right. a lot of Iranians, a lot of Iraqis, there was a lot of Africans. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they, they kind of the ones that fed you. It was like the, uh, the the Thais used to call our food the UN truck, and the Africans had come running through with the truck, right? They'd all be running off the side of it. Wow! You know what I mean, like banging yeah. on it, and then they'd get the the big pots, and and you'd all be waiting, and, and all the chicken would be gone, apart from you like water, but like a fucking carrot in it. And like, what do you want, boy? Get away! Get away! I go fucking chicken, man. What's going on? Right. What the fucking chicken? Get away, man! And I, and I was like, God, oh, this is. These are twats, these. That must have been really difficult. You have to like, buy the chicken off them. Right. They'd take it all out and they'd sell it back to you. Unbelievable. This is the food that we got free. Yeah. Twice a day. It's supposed to be given to you. Yeah, we, we got it twice a day, but everyone was in for a pound note. People would be selling medication um, and the currency was stamps and cash. Mm-hmm. Stamps. The King's Head. It was a big thing. If you had a stamp with the King's Head on, you could, you know, it was currency. So there was a lot. There was a lot of that going on. Um, wow. One of the most powerful parts of the movie for me was when they sort of pin you down and you're, you're not sure what's going on. Like, I, I, you know, it was a very anxiety-driven scene. Like, you're like, fucking hell, they're going to kill him here. Mm. But then they pin you down and then they pin another guy to the wall and they rape him and make you watch it. Yeah. Uh, you said you'd actually seen rapes before. I mean, how, how do you get over something like that? And, and what is it like during that time where you're just trying to fucking get through it? I just buried me head with drugs. Yeah. That's all. That's how I got through. That's how I dealt with problems. It was uh, to, to suppress any feeling, any thoughts, you know, because I couldn't process like the present. You know, I had to kind of be in reality uh, or a fantasy, and, and it was just I couldn't I, I couldn't be in the reality of it all. So that was how. I, but I had, don't get me wrong. When I came back, I had to deal with all that trauma mm. over a decade ago. A lot of talking to people, I would imagine. Yeah, you know, um, a lot of talking to a lot of odd people as well, initially, because, you know, when I went to Wandsworth Prison and I was trying to explain to this, this psychotherapist, he pulls out a fucking pack of cards, right. starts playing them with me, and I was like, you mate, I'm just being, you know, how are you feeling? I don't fucking know, but I know what I'm thinking. You know what I mean? And I, I just, you know, I had all this, I was paranoid, I was, um, I was really submissive and, very passive, and it was, yeah, I felt like a tourist in my own country when I landed back in the UK, and it was fucking hell. I changed my name to Yusuf Mohammed while I was in Thailand, right, it was for a bit of food. Got to a stage, pays all these debts, was in there, and all these drugs had gone. Uh, I couldn't score drugs anymore, didn't want to score drugs anymore, I had enough about that way in life, I thought I'll have to face the fucking day, you know what I mean? And I was walking around for weeks, you know, no money, eating prison food, no visits. And these Muslims were eating um, this this wonderful, like a table like this, you can imagine it. Just like a big, wonderful spray of everything, you know what I mean? It was just full. You know, loads of, um, loads of, loads of different dishes. And I was just, used to walk past every day, just looking at really envious and jealous, you know, like the hunger, 
was really the pangs were really fucking killing me. And um, one of them looked at me and said, my friend, would you like to join us? Well, he didn't have to ask me twice. I fucking shot down with him. Right? He said, before we, before we eat, we have to pray. I said, okay. He went, no, 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 my friend, we pray like this. I said, all right, Sean, you'll pray anywhere you want me. He went to him. <laughs> he went, I enjoyed it. And it was like a choice of the art, you know what I mean? And it filled my stomach. And I, um, I said to him, I said, I'll come back tomorrow. But okay. My friend, only, only the Muslim brother come here. You are welcome today, but you know, so forth. Muslim brother, shard. Got off, came back the next day with a sharong and a skull cap on. Sat there. She said, My name is Yusuf Muhammad. I was going to say Muhammad Ali because that's the only fucking <laughs> one I knew. <laughs> so I said, Yusuf Muhammad. Never battered an island. It was great. It was, okay, Yusuf, you join us. Now you have to do a shahada. I should do Allah, Allah, I should do Hannah, Muhammad, Rasulullah, and Abi Muhammad. So I had to do this, like, I had to speak. Mm-hmm. I had to do this shahada with them, and then I go for a tumor, and then I had to learn Arabic and, and go through the Quran. I was like, fucking hell, I don't want a bit of food here. Just for dinner. Just for dinner. Mm-hmm. But then he moved me into a shell. And um, I was praying five times a day. They would wake me up. Yeah, the Fajr, you know, like, Allah. I was like, fucking hell, this black's fucking got a bit too far now. What do you mean? Fucking hell. They've moved me into a shell here, you know what I mean? <laughs> Fucked. Because so, earlier on, you're beating Muslims up. Yeah. So and then now, now you're now you're sitting in the cell praying five times so, a day. So like that. Is this fucking worthy? Yeah. Three o'clock in the morning. Three o'clock in the morning. You know what I mean? But then I believed. I had actually believed I was a Muslim. Right? And I fucking... I was, <laughs> that went on for like a year. Were you actually... <laughs> were, you, <laughs> were you actually spiritual in that time, do you think? Do you think it did help you? I didn't... Didn't use drugs and I didn't. I, 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 what I what I put it what I, what I, what I realised is like again because the boxing team had moved from one prison. I had to you know I had to leave that prison in the end and, and come to, to to Bangkok. That um, collectively as a unit I needed support. Mm. And I used to say to them, ask questions to see you know because I was a little bit closed minded. She's all this like Muslim gear and all that. You know, you're blowing up people and what's it all about with the backpacks and right. you know, why are you doing that? Because I had no insight. And they obviously didn't see it that way. No, they saw me. They said, look, this is what it is. You know, Billy, when we say assalamu alaikum, marakmadullah, alhamdulillah, it means you're our brother. No arm's going to come to you. You're a friend. I said, so what's all this jihad shit then? They went, jihad is like a fight within, the conflict that you got. What, these extremists and fundamentalists, they're not real like they said they're not real Muslims so kind of I started to kind of question I know, and I observed and, and they were really just, they were just like us you know what I mean there were no difference on a human level on a human level it was just like us they, they, they were kind and compassionate and understanding they didn't want any violence they had their own little and I just thought you know what they feed me just anything to keep the engine room alive um, just survive you know they, they knew they, said, they fucking knew they, 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 Bill we, we know but you're here it's okay you're part of us. It was a bit of like... Um, Surely the, when he wanted to get me fucking foreskin chopped off by one of his mates. In uh, prison? Yeah. Right oh, we've about. heard a few genital things in prison, but that sounds off. bad as well. I thought, like, not that fucking fat. <laughs> keep, <laughs> keep your chicken. Keep your chicken. Keep your chicken. I'll keep your foreskin. I'll keep my sausage. You keep the chicken. It, it, it sounds like you had a quite a positive experience there, though. Yeah, that's it. It was... It was um, Travel broadens the mind, Brian. It was, it was, it was beautiful in the sense where... I wasn't, you know, the judgments I had. Mm. I've opened my eyes a little bit more and I kind of become a little bit more uh, 
elevates you with the intellect of it all. I thought, okay, yeah, sure, I learned new stuff. And then, you know, they're quite nice when I left. And that was kind of the end of my sentence. Clean, going home. Uh, after five years of being in the country. You were allowed back to the UK, weren't you? Yeah. You had, did you have to finish the sentence in the UK? Yeah. yeah. I had eight months in Wandsworth to do. <clears throat> How did that feel? Uh, it, was, it was like, it was March the, the 31st, 2010. They flew me back. Two prison officers sitting next to me on a plane, on a BA. Um, and it was like 40 degrees in Thailand. And Bangkok was on fire. There, there was like, there, there, was, there was like a red and, Red, red and yellow share party going up. People were setting the city up on fire. It was all over the news. Flights were getting stopped. My flight got stopped two days before for never going to leave Thailand. You know what I mean? The, 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 the airport was surrounded by like, like, like protesters and everything. Not for me, like just for, just for the governments, the way they were handling stuff. Uh, and I get we fly in, 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 into the UK and it was freezing cold. You know what I mean, I got put in a shell and I just slept on the floor. There's a bed there, and I didn't feel comfortable at all in that bed. I stayed on that floor for all three weeks with my legs wrapped around the pipes because it was that fucking cold. Um, I was struggling with communicating with English. My English was like mixed with Thai because I was pulled past the Thai Dike. I was like, I was kind of fluent in, 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 in Thai at, at that stage. Uh, so I was, my English was broken with Thai, and because uh, I was going cap cap instead of thank you, and, and they were like, fucking hell. I was going yes, yeah, yes, yeah. You know. You know, you're in England now, Bill. But it's just, it was just that ingrained in me. Um, so awkward to be, and then you had stands in the tennis queue, but it's three. You know, and there'd be chips and mushy peas and chicken legs. And, and then you'd hear these cockney kids going, fucking cans, fucking chips, man. Fuck. I was like, I fucking, only some chicken head or a fucking bit of snake or something over there. You, you know, then talk about cold chips and mushy peas. This is fucking great, this. Were you seen as a bit of a novelty in the prison then when you came back? Yeah, you know, it was, um, yeah, loads of questions getting asked. People were, like, interested. Um, it was unbelievable, you know. You couldn't invent or conjure it up in your worst nightmares, what you kind of witnessed and been subjected to. And I decided to write about it. It was, like, therapeutic for me. The, the catharsis in, in writing kind of helped me... Um, Come to terms with with because I couldn't I, I could tell you Lauren Saul day long ago do you know what um, tell you the story but you're not going to identify because you haven't shared that experience so when people were asking me these questions in Wandsworth and uh, 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 they were like just looking at me like I was what the fuck what so I felt like isolated again and I, and I put down on paper and I showed it to this young female uh, teacher who worked in the education department and she went. She's come back the next day, she's like, oh my God, that's amazing. It was only one A4 piece of paper of a descriptive experience of that. She said, you need to write more. You know what? She said, this is fucking amazing. You're gonna, you can write a book, you. And she encouraged me. Uh, and I sat in that cell for eight months and I just wrote. Wrote and wrote and wrote. And you know, I was reading and I was fucking sobbing at the stuff I'd been through. And it was, it was healing, you know. Like growing up as well, as a backstory in the book, but it was growing up. But, you know, the freshest memories were the ones that I could like the, 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 the easiest. And, um, and, and uh, the rest is history. I went out and had it published. And within six months, it became an international bestseller. How did that happen? I mean, let's make a movie. How the fuck does this happen? 
That's me, so all these actors. I'll just, you know, I'm just a crazy mixed up kid from a stupid town. I fucked up his whole life, used drugs, and I had loads of shitty experiences, wonderful experiences as well, you know. And um, wrote about it. And people go, yeah, you know, you're inspiring and this. And, you know, when you feel like a fraud, think, look, look, I'm sure you could survive it. If you didn't fucking fight back, <laughs> you just got on with it. Oh, you, you went up and shook the, you know, I, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to go over to the biggest, hardest motherfucker in there and just shook his dick. <laughs> I mean, what? The, the, the bit that really struck me about was your adaptability. And uh, nothing sort of shows adaptability more than the relationships you were building up in the prison. Yeah. And one of them was with um, Fame, who was, was that, is that the real name? No, it was John in the book. Um, just changed the name, didn't he? Yeah. Like, protect the identity of, of the, these, these ladyboys. And so you get close with Fame, who also works in, I guess, the shop mm. there and who's selling cigarettes and those kind of things. You've been begging her for those. And then you get intimate with her because... Well, it didn't happen, know. by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I read that. It didn't actually happen. No, yeah, yeah. it was... Um, yeah. So, what, but you had, like, a close friendship, yeah. Because I read that. That's why I said you get intimate mm. rather than... Yeah, sexual. Yeah. And obviously then it's portrayed differently in the film. Mm. Why was it portrayed differently? I was going to ask, why is that artistic license? Yeah, it was um, the director. He's, he wanted to bring a bit more intimacy into it. He yeah. wanted, like, you said, look, Bill, this is, like, fucking barbaric. It's visual, it's violent. It's blood, sweat, tattoos, drugs. He said... Intimacy. Let's bring you a little bit of closeness. How do you feel like? Do you know what? It's it's. You're the director. You're. It worked actually. It, it, it did. It, 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 I think he was right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, it was, first, really it was like I felt. I was reading the script. I was like, oh, hang on a minute. Everyone's gonna. My mates are gonna see this straight away. It felt. And then you know what the fucking question that people ask me is: How much money did you make from this movie? Mm. And did you sleep with that fella with the sits? That's seriously yeah. like, that question's being on, you know, not by yourselves, but by other people. Um, by people like a little bit more narrow minded. The relationship with, with John in 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 the prison at the time was one of like um I'd been beaten and dragged down these steps, I had bruised, I was cut, I was fucked up really. Again, through actions of my own responsibilities, over drugs, the tramadol situation, I wanted drugs. You know, I couldn't I had a pain, I had a fucking big scar on my stomach and everything. Um and, and she showed me a bit of understanding and compassion and, and, and closeness. You know what I mean? It's like Mickey Mouse on Elim. Billy! <laughs> you okay? But she was gorgeous as well. Proper, that, that lazy boy in that movie. Like, shit, you're not. She is fucking amazing. You know what I mean? She's just a lovely person. And I say she because whether she's a transgender or not, she's just a woman. You know what I mean? Yeah, she's got all those feminine kind of qualities. And as an actress, she was amazing in, in, in the film. Um, but yeah, it was. Um, it was. You can you imagine sitting in a, in a prison full of sweaty men, and then you've got this lady boy in a, in a, behind a cage because I've just been beaten up. I've been segregated for my own protection at the time. You got put on numbers in a sense. I mean, for a, for a, for a month, it was punishment. Um, and having someone sitting next to you smelling a Chanel. Mm. You know what I mean? A little pick, some kind of perfume and coconut oil, and making an effort with themselves. Yeah, and a little fan. What I, I mean, get, I do get it, like, and I'm blowing in your ear. Yeah, I'm thinking, what the fuck? Well, I don't fancy. You know what? I was like, I'm not into this, and and then I, I thought my biggest fear is falling in love with this fella. Yeah, and writing to me mum and said I'm not coming back. It's me and John, just the two of us. Yeah, <laughs> but it was just, it was, 
it was never like it was never like a sexual kind of it was very, but it was very intimate in the way we communicated mm-hmm. um, but I still feel I'd still be filled with that shame if anyone looked and seen us really because of that male masculinity that we carry in ah, I was just, just a mate you know but um, I think they she got me through a lot as well how does it make you feel looking back on that? Do you still feel affect? Like, I don't mean you know sexual affection, but affection towards people like that. Like, do yeah. you feel any affection towards the people you were in prison with? Yeah, I feel like the the, the, the fact that the poorly educated. I remember one guy coming up to me, and it was like the most fucking weirdest question you could ask someone. And, and, and he went, "Is Superman? Does he does he ever go to London?" And I went, "Well, he believed that Superman was real." He believed that all these Marvel characters were fucking real. You know what I mean? And he never had met Mel. <laughs> he, just, he, was, he, he was just fucking really believed. And, and I was like, believe Superman. You know, he very real. I was like, Fuck, this just so, it's like, they were really fucking, like, they had no knowledge of anything. Naive you know I mean? people. Yeah, very, very naive. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I've got some, like, um, some feelings towards them in a the sense of, like, you know, it's fucking sad, really. It really is because, you know, the conditions that they're in, it's fucking horrible. I mean, fucking literally. People with, like, no legs and they were blind in there, right, and wearing head guards because I've seen it all. There's a kid in there, he had an head guard on called Gog and then he had this um, penis tattoos on his fucking forehead by the, you know, these other Thai guys who brutalised them and that. You know, because he was in for murdering his parents and that's a big thing. You don't kill your fucking family and well, you don't kill them anyway. Well, you do have these aims, don't you, in your head? But not literally. But, um, you know, and he's beaten to fucking a pope and, you know, he, you know, and there was a guy that got shot by the police and he'd lost his fucking eyes and he was walking around with a stick and no one was helping him. And, you know, then there was another guy who lost his legs and he was on a, like, a, like, like, a, like a little piece of wood with a wheel on it pulling himself around on his arms. This is in the prison. It was like a city within a city. You know, and not everyone was friends over the shelves, but he got, they seemed to manage and get by. You with me? It was like the... We've got to survive somehow. But like I said, it is a shock to the system. So yeah, there's some... There's some Even compassion. Thailand, just generally to me, is bizarre. Like that... Some of that, the actual places in Thailand, I see like documentaries about them, like that alone fucks me up, let alone the prison there. Like, it's yeah. just a weird place, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I can see why you'd be drawn there for the adventure. You, you come back, you're in England now, you've got people offering you movie deals for this book that's gone to the top of the charts. You, you take it. You said to me on the text message, you were like, um, something happened, uh, yeah. people asking you how much money you got paid and all that. You said uh, you had an issue. Yeah. What was the issue? I was um, you know, I, I was misled. I wasn't savvy in the industry. I had no agents. I, I had this, this 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 story, this book, and I knocked at this door, and you know they refused to see me. You know this producers, these you know, and I kept coming back. And I speak to the managers then, and you know the managers eventually said to you know we'll take this off here, and if you need, if you like, it will be in such. You know, it was just a local company in Liverpool. And three months later, the um, the phone me. We need to sit down. I'm thinking, okay, a documentary, expose the book I've written that's only being published in Thailand at the moment and get us some kind of lights on it so we can get some sales. And they went, we want to make a fucking movie, a feature. F-. And I was like, we do, you know what I mean? 
And then he started coming out with all these names, Charlie Hunnam and Jason Stratton, which I'm fucking glad he did. <laughs> you just want to chop everyone up. Would have been um, a bit generous to you. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah fucking hell. Um, he's just typecast anyway, isn't he? Um, <laughs> but the likes of it, uh, and then uh, it's, it's like, I was like, fucking hell, this is weird. So they were asking, you know, the contracts getting signed. I said, Lennox, I need an agent. He went, no, you can trust us. Scousers. Stick it together. I'm like, oh, all right, yeah. Not knowing it's a doggy dog world. Got manipulated into signing a contract and reducing my fee because they told me that everyone else should reduce their fee so the movie could go ahead. But then I went to Paris with uh, these other producers to talk about something about just have a break, really. And she told me what happened. No one had reduced their fee um, and they had to full it. So I had the lowest kind of fucking uh, percentage of out of everyone. I mean, 1.5% and it was ridiculous. You know, it's never going to be a big fucking amazing movie making millions of dollars like Mamma Mia or nothing like that. But, you know, it, it, it was it was my life. It was my journey. It was my blood and my sweat and my tears and, uh, and everything I'd put into it. Um, just dismissed. So, you know, I had like loads of controversial disagreements and I'm not... Like here to put them down and go, this this is what it is, this is the industry, you know what I mean? Um, I just learned a lesson. It's not the first time I've heard that, unfortunately. Mm. We had uh, Nick Yaris, who did A Fear of 13 on Netflix. He did 23 years on death row for a crime he didn't commit. And he off- he said the same thing about the guys who made his movie as well. Uh, Which is terrible because it's... I think that's the industry, though. They see yeah. people like you coming and they think he won't understand what's going on here until it's too late. I'm that's exploitation. Well, absolutely. I, I was, I was, I was being story. like pressured, phone calls and pressure. They, they turn up at cafes, like with 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 documents, dotted lines, mm. right. need to sign it. You know, you've, you know, and, and they manipulate the fact that they go, you know, you know, if we've only got a couple of days and if these aren't signed, we won't be able to get the movie made. And, mm. Lifting money up front, yeah, and stuff like that as well, isn't it? Yeah, and um, so I shined, you know what I mean? I shined, and it, you know, I've got next to nothing really. Are you proud of the the story, the way it's told? Though I'm proud of the story, the way it's told. I love the director's artistic uh, view on it. I love the character Joe Cole. He's a fucking amazing friend. Um, The writer Jonathan Nash being get on well with him. The Liverpool firm, I I can't fucking stand them. Mm I swear, and I, I, I've never said this, but, I, you know, out loud, but fucking wrongings, you know what I mean? The way they kind of, like, exploited me, and you know, and I, I, and saying to me, when I found out, I found out, and I went up to them, and I challenged them, I said, look here, what's fucking going on here? And he was, oh, what'll happen is when, because of this, and this, and this happened, and, and Nick didn't sign that, we will cover the costs. Never did. Never did. Um, and that's just how it is. So I've been left in that. I'm, I, but you know what? I'm richer in 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 life. You know, I do a lot in the community today. Um, you know, I'm involved. I've got a brother who's got autism, and he's beautiful. You know, he's a you know people say oh he suffers with autism. He doesn't. He's blessed with innocence. He's lovely. He's um, I've dismissed him for years. He's just been in my way. He's forty years old, and he and he's just a loving, caring, like gentle giant. When you say you dismissed them, do you mean like you just weren't aware of like how good of a thing you could have there? Yeah, I dismissed his, uh, you know, them. I, my phone was more important than my family. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Booking liking someone's dinner on Instagram was more important than me going, yeah, this mm-hmm. is my brother. We all do um, that. Don't yeah, we? yeah. And I missed out 
you know, give us five minutes and he'd be wanting to tell me about his day and I'd give me five minutes, you know, in a minute, in an hour, in a day, in a couple of weeks, in a month, a few years later, it'd go like that, you know what I mean? And he'd, he'd be sitting there and, you know, it's only been recently the, the last six months where I've, I've developed this relationship with him and, and I've taken to the uh, Sunday Boxing Club. It's, 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 it's an all-inclusive hub for kids with autism. You know, we're involving the whole community, you know, and I volunteer there uh, every weekend. I've done it without fail. And he, he comes along. Now his confidence is like, you know, he's very controlling now. You know, he thinks he's a PT, right? And he comes out with a speech at the end of the... Yeah. The end, of, but he is a PT in my head, you know, and, and, and he does... He's fucking amazing. He is, he's just fucking... Do you love him in there? Yeah. I mean, you could not. You could not. I put a post on on Twitter the other day. I was with my brother, he, 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 he praying at um, my dad's graveside, and um, it's his birthday. And he, you know, the relationship I had with my dad was very different from the relationship he had. He was a bit more. It was different, and um, he was saying he was the best dad in the world. And he said, you know, that's a video it because it was so heartwarming. And I posted it, and, and, and it reached up to like a quarter of a million views within two days. And I was like, fucking, I can't even get fucking twenty likes on a fucking. Or a smile, you know what I mean? But like that just proved, you know, I I I I had a that day was really emotional. It was my dad birthday, and it like, brings up all that stuff. And it's like, you know, it's okay to feel not okay and, and to be human. Because I haven't, I, I I struggle to to, to shed a tear in me. Um, I don't know what it is. I'm a, some something fucking emotionally blocks it, and I swallow it. You know, and I do it. I've been doing it through this podcast throughout it. I push it down mm. instead of like because of that pride and that ego and and, and, and the fear of being judged. Yeah, you know, it's it's um, it's okay. You mm. cry in the in the film. Yeah, was is that true that you cried in prison? Because uh, I can't remember what it is that makes you cry, but you it was a letter off my dad. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's a letter off your father. Yeah, and then like, was that a real moment? There? Yeah, there was a real moment. The, the, the only the only thing that never happened was when. You know, the director said to me, is your father ever come to visit you when you've been in prison? I went, no. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. And, uh, is that the end? That's the end. You yeah. played your dad, didn't yeah. you? I worked that out. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. But, the, but the ironic kind of thing was uh, my dad had died of cancer two years before. Right. And we were in the process of doing this film. You know, so it, doesn't take, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, all that stuff, the producers, the, the, you know, all Believe that. Believe me, we know. Um, and I'd got diagnosed with cancer. Whilst I was on set, so I had third stage uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I had a tumour in my neck and a tumour in my abs, abdomen. And the director said, you know, beforehand, you know, you know, they call up, you know, would you play your father? And I was like, fucking hell, you know. And he said, if you, if you were your father, what would you say to your son? He said, put yourself as in your father's shoes. This is this young actor, Joe Cole, is coming towards you. He's done a character study on me. He knows exactly the feelings of being going, that's been going on about it. And um, I remember um, standing there at five o'clock in the morning, the last scene to be shot in the Philippines, in this prison in Cebu. And um, my dad, me being him, like, and I filled myself, I, I, I don't know, I couldn't even muster, all I wanted to say, all I wanted to say to me, Sean, was I love you. That was all I ever wanted. No, didn't want money, postal orders or or any food or, or, or just 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 those three little words, you know, I love you. And I couldn't even bring myself to say that. 
and I was standing there and I was looking at this young actor and, and it was like, I was picturing it. And the director said, we don't need to say anything. You know, that's it. That visually is enough. You know what I mean? And, um, that's how it ended. It was very less as more something. Like, I think they nailed that. Yeah. It was perfect the way you didn't say anything because it's sort of the way the whole movie had gone was, mm, yeah. like I said at the start, you gave the audience respect that you, you're, they're going to get this. They don't need to know every single thing about you as a person. They're going to learn that throughout it and not having any words, I thought, was brilliant. Yeah. You yeah. got the thing that all went on, yeah. life goes on. and you Well, life did go on, yeah. Did you, uh, when you, obviously, because of the tumultuous relationship with your dad, how did you feel when you knew he passed away? Because you spent so much time oh, in yeah. prison away from your family. The last 10 years of his life, because I'd been released by this time, it, 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 it was, I built up a relationship with him. It was quite, quite fractured, but it was, um, I could see how loving and caring he was to his grandkids. He was quite different, you know, um, he never spoke about his problems. He never never knew nothing about his past. He was me dad all his life, and I never knew nothing about him. Um, he never told me anything. But I knew that through family members that he, he had his demons to deal with. And, um, you know, he stopped drinking for the last four years of his life, but wouldn't seek help or any therapy or talk to anyone. He just sat in his little room, put his bed on. My mum had left him. He never met anyone else. You know, and um, we all held his hand when he passed away. You know, that was the most loving, caring, you know, thing we could do is be there as a family. And, and regardless of the shit he put us through, you know, just to tell him that he was loved when he did pass away. And he was. Um, he was, you know, and he looked at me. And I, I, I can't explain it. It's like our eyes locked Right, it was just silence, our eyes locked, and it was the moments where I could see all the pain, shame, guilt through the years in his eyes. And he had to look away, and I, I, I remember like looking away and I'm blinking, and, and I see he's just fucking cascading down my face. It was like that was a moment, it's, it was, and then you know, he was gone. It was him. Um, and did you say anything to him at that point? I said, I've got to go. That was all I, I couldn't, yeah, I've got to go now. And that was it, you know what I mean? Because no matter what I said, I, you know, it's like he's, he's going to be in denial. He's going to like... Um, well, words weren't necessary, were nah, they? Really? No, no. Like in the movie. Yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing to say. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly kind of how I felt. So, I could, in a sense, yeah, just, that's just brought that up then, really. That's probably how I felt back, mm-hmm. back then, yeah. It must be weird uh, for your family to watch the film because now it's been made into a film, it's almost cast as a bit of a success story. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You watch it and it's quite affirmative in the end. You've gone through a lot of struggle. But what got you there was a really hard, painful life. But it's being portrayed in quite, not a heroic way, but obviously, you know, yeah. it's held there as a film. How do you think your family feel about watching their son go through that? And like, you know, you're a mum and... Yeah, my mum finds it really difficult. Uh, obviously, you know, she's the closest thing to me. Um, I don't know. My brother said, did you sleep with that fella? (laughs) (laughs) Were you at the premiere watching it and everyone's watching it with you and you're like, I didn't do that bit, no. No, they weren't there. I was all separate. I wouldn't fucking go with them. But um, yeah, um, maybe this is there, my brother. And they didn't even ask me, he asked me mum. Yeah. So I was there, he never fucking slept with that fella, did he? Fucking hell. And I was like, shut up, you know what I mean? But yeah. Seems like you're quite emotionally sort of You've dealt with it. Yeah, yeah, I believe I have. There's no way, um, there's no nightmares or, you know, it's, 
it's acceptance. It's it's like just acceptance around how it's been. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm really quite like to be honest. I'm, it's really quite not shocking, but like um, surprising because obviously we've had people who've been in prison on the podcast before, and you always get this sort of sense of something sort of remaining with them from yeah. those days. Yeah. Sometimes I just think it's just it is life goes on. We're not here forever. It's quite short. People think it's long. No, but in the blink of an eye, it's gone. You know what I mean? Decades passed by, you know, and, and, and you know, we're not present in our own fucking body and, and, and observing what's going on with our families. Then we're missing out. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like what John Lennon said, isn't it? Life is what passes you by when you're looking at something else. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's all perfect. It, yeah. I've only got uh, two questions left. Um, yeah, is that right with you? you got I was, I was lit. I, I just, I made a lot of notes okay. uh, about the film. I just wanted to go through. Um, <clears throat> I like to ask this yeah. one sometimes, and it's ironic because you've actually made a movie about your life. But um, lots happened since the movie. A lot happened since the time period in the movie. Looking back at your life, what would be that halfway point now? If you were to make the movie now, because I feel like everyone's got that moment. Uh, and yours was, I guess, going to the prison in the movie, but uh, everyone's got that moment that they look back at, oh, that was the point where I just stopped becoming the real me, or that was the turning point. Is it still going to prison? Would that, in Thailand, is that still no, that moment for you? The turning point was um, knowing that I had an understanding of addiction and that it's like having a belly full of drugs and a head full of recovery and knowing that was a way out. There was a better way of living. Mm. Uh, so every time I used, it was really uncomfortable. It was like, it wasn't the fucking shame anymore. Mm-hmm. The drugs, like, it's like, there's that song in it, you know, the drugs don't work anymore. You knew too mm-hmm. much at that point. I just, yeah, I just, I had too much knowledge, too much awareness, too much understanding and I knew that like, the drugs weren't working. Mm-hmm. Um, and that all I was doing was like, fucking, just, becoming a fucking zombie in life, you know what I mean? So yeah, it was like, there was a cliche, you know, your usual will never be the same. You know, I used to go to these these the recovery meetings and they'd say to me, Bill, you know, your usual will never be the same once you've had a, a taste of dish. And I go, yeah, all right, whatever. And then it's like it's like reading a sign on a pack of cigarettes, in it? These fucking seriously cause your arm. You still smoke them, you know what I mean? But when I, when I started taking it, it was like, yeah, fucking hell. It's not the same, you know what I mean? So I, the same point was probably getting to that rehab years ago. <laughs> the problem was not dealing with the emotional. Thinking getting clean was enough. I'm not dealing with all the uh, the trauma of growing up. and Not dealing with what caused you to want to use yeah, the, the emotion, place, Yeah, the emotional so, upheaval. Yeah. Just thinking, yeah, get clean, that's it. Fucking be grateful for that. Um, you know, just any... Uh, wow. I've got one more left if you haven't got... If you're uh, okay with that. Yeah. All right. How would you like to be remembered? Oh, would I like to be remembered? Yeah. I don't know. You can just, take just, a minute. Yeah. It's, it's, quite a lo- it's quite a deep question, I think, but I like to uh, ask people it every Okay, time. you know what? Right, I'd like to be remembered as a guy that can inspire others to change and, 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 and motivate themselves within their own mental health and, and, and develop. It's like... Look, man, you know, it's it's fucking, this is it. We've got one life and we live it. Um, it's, don't worry about too much in the past. You know, don't focus on on what's what's not here. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm at a stage now where I've got nothing but I've got everything. You know, um, 
I get that. Yeah. I'm in the corridor, if you know what I mean. One door opens and another closes and I'm stuck mm. in the corridor. And I don't like being in the corridor sometimes because I don't know, it's, you know, it's quite dark. So sometimes I feel like I'm in the corridor of life um, and I'm afraid to open that door because I don't know what's happening. And that's what I need. I, I think it's just about having that courage just to go, yeah, we'll through that and what will be, will be. So yeah, that's probably the most inspiring thing I could think of. It's been a pleasure, mate. I th thanks a lot. It's been man. really Honestly, fascinating. I mean, should do yeah. this again. Yeah, I, I still feel like it. there's a lot there. Yeah. You've got yeah. another book coming out, obviously. Yeah. So you need to come back and promote right. it anyway. But for people who haven't, uh, I've not read the book. The movie was fantastic, uh, really immersive, yeah. incredible. Film. So the movie's on Sky. It's obviously, the book Sky, on anyway. Amazon. Yeah, it's, yeah. And it's the movie is so worth it. And that comes from someone who watches a lot of films. We both watch a lot of films. Yeah. It's one of the best films I've seen in years. Oh, this year for sure. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, you're on social media. We'll yeah. put all that in the link in the description below. If everyone's enjoyed this podcast, make sure. Hit the like button, subscribe. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you later.